0: Welcome to Sober Nation FM, a podcast network dedicated to sharing experience, strength and hope so that you may continue to live your best life of recovery. The Sober Podcast Network is brought to you by Sober Nation. Do you want to live a healthy, sober life? Sober Nation is the world's leading online recovery community. Find support, resources, stories of hope, and even an online treatment program at SoberNation.com. Live a happy life, be comfortable in your skin, and join the recovery movement. Once again, that's SoberNation.com. Now enjoy today's episode. The hell that I was in, I'd do anything to be better. I thought like a lunatic. You got to just have like that little bit of hope that it will get better. You're going to make it. This began my surrender. I am a witness of my own growth. It's a life beyond your wildest dreams. And I just have to say, it works if you work it. My story, that's what I share. You're listening to Far From Finished, a weekly podcast where we share new real life stories of hope and triumph told by the people who live them. Today's story comes to us from... I'm Mike. My clean date is April 5th, 2015. So I've just over 18 months clean now. Life before addiction. Some people believe this disease um, starts when you're like a child. And for me, that's what I believe. I've always felt like a separation from society and people. And like I was always alone on the outside looking in, like being able to isolate in a crowd full of thousand people. And um, I felt that since I was about four years old. From then on, I've always had like anxiety and, and depression and always been able to put on masks to not show you the real me because I always had such low self-esteem. I think that's what a lot of the disease of addiction stems from, feeling less than and and low self-esteem and low self-worth. So um growing up that's always how it was for me. And um when I was um in about seventh grade, that's when I that's when I really started feeling like less than than other people and I felt like I needed to start putting on masks on. So that's what led to me to start using. The first thing I used, um, the first drug I used was alcohol when I was about 12 years old. And, um, you know, they say that this disease is like progressive. And the thing is, is that when I took my first shot of alcohol, it was Russian vodka. When I took the first one, I was thinking about how can I get this person to give me another one. Like as the first shot was going down and I felt like this warm feeling, I was just like, this is what I always wanted. And growing up, I always, at family functions, always wanted to drink, like, beer. And, like, my family thought it was funny, like, oh, Michael likes to taste the beer. But the truth is, is that I didn't like the taste of beer. I didn't like it at all. But I liked the attention that I got when I, when I would drink. I liked how, like, when people start, when I saw the older people start drinking, how I saw them get looser and happier. And I wanted to be looser and happier. So that's that's what I was looking for when I first started drinking. And so when I took that first shot, that's when, that's when, it took off for me and for for a short period of time I would only drink on the weekends but um that that's when it took on and that's when the disease really started um, hitting me in different areas than it was able to hit me before because I believe addiction is an obsession and compulsion to use and when I start I lose power choice and control so from then on I didn't have a a choice or control about what I was doing from drinking the alcohol it had um, started on on weekends and then I started not having a problem doing it on a on a weekday and I'm talking about at a young age and then um uh, when I was a freshman in high school my first ever girlfriend um we had broke up but a short period of time after we broke up she had passed away tragically and um that's when something really just like broke inside of me and um that's the first uh week that I started a couple days after her passing I started smoking marijuana and uh I believe that's what led me to not being able to like cope with feelings and mask like, the proper way to feel. Because there's nothing wrong with grieving. There's nothing wrong with feeling pain. But the thing is, is that I, I run to escape my feelings because I don't know how to feel. A lot of times it would just come out as anger. That's what all my feelings came out as, is anger. So when she passed away and I, I started smoking marijuana from then on, at uh, 14 years old, 15 years old, I started smoking weed every single day. Because it had taught me, at first, this drug was a solution for me. Drugs, any drug, was a solution for me It worked. It helped me cope with life, helped me mask those feelings, and I didn't feel so anxious and afraid to talk to people. Because the thing is, is that I think a lot of this, a lot of addicts and alcoholics that I met, have some type of lack, lack of connection. Because there's three relationships we have in life. God with other people and with ourselves. So a lot of people lack some type of connection, which is why I think a lot of us use... And um, for me, it was it was connection with other people. I did have a relationship with a God of my own understanding at this time. I did have a relationship with myself because I did have dreams, goals, and aspirations. But I had this lack of being able to connect with people. So when I started using drugs, it made me feel comfortable. I could talk to the girls I didn't want to talk to. I can go into um, social events and not be so nervous. I would drink before the party even started like before anybody would crack open the bottle for the party I'm looking at it in the in the pantry like I'm staring at the bottle through the pantry through what the doors closed that's how much I would obsessed about using it waiting for it to be okay for me to drink it I was always the first one in the party and the last one to leave I always had to finish everything and I finished yours too so from that it really progressed because I don't believe that I went to a harder substance for me being an addict I think that there was no harder substance for for me. it was just I was looking for this magical cure to get out of right here right now. I have a fear of the future and I regret the past, so I would always try to get out of the moment. How do I get out of this this present situation I'm in because I'm so uncomfortable so it was never me going on the harder drugs. it was me switching drugs, switching drugs because I'd switch a drug it would work for for me for a little bit, and then it would stop it wouldn't it wouldn't work anymore so then going on throughout high school, I started becoming unmanageable in life too. I started losing the dreams and aspirations. I believe the disease of of addiction, I like to put a face on my disease and I call him Attic Man and I say, and I think Attic Man talks to me in my own voice, saying, Michael you're not worth anything. You'll never be anything, Michael. You don't deserve to be happy, Michael. You deserve to use and die, Michael. And um, around 16 years old, um, My father passed away when I was four years old and I have two sisters, younger and an older sister. And um, growing up, I was told that he had died in a car accident. So when I was 16 years old, I had found out that he had suffered from depression and actually committed suicide. So my mother did whatever she could for me and my two sisters. And that's why my mom was my hero and she saved me a lot of times throughout my life. Um, Because I I don't know how she was that strong of a person to take care of us. But um, when I found out he suffered from depression, it made me realize like maybe that's where I get this from. Maybe this is why I feel like I live in like a dark, cold world. And um, I feel like there's no way out. So the drugs, especially after I was 16 years old, was just getting more consistent. I stopped caring about school. I stopped caring about college. When I went into my freshman year of high school, I played three different sports, was good in those sports. Um, I was a straight-A student, was in all honors classes. When I started using it, it put the disease told me that this is what you need to do for the rest of your life to be happy that all those things won't make you happy so not only that, but fear just immobilized my life fear that's the whole story. every single action I ever made in my life was fear, and I thought that that was um, that I was really just angry that I really just hated people, but I came in to a 12-step fellowship, I learned the opposite of love isn't hate, it's fear. So what I have, and what I believe I have a lot in common with other addicts and alcoholics, is a lack of love. A lack of love. And to me today, through doing the program, I learned that love is the answer. Love is the answer to all my problems today, and that's why I need to apply. So getting into more and more drugs, um, started going into bad parts of cities, started doing everything that that lifestyle came with, and um, Money became a huge addiction for me. Women became a huge addiction for me. Um and, and using other people because hurt people hurt, hurt hurt other people. And that's what I wanted to do. I had got um my heart broken by girls, so I said I wanna break their hearts. And I became um in the twelve step fellowship I belong to Anonymous. we say that we live at an animalistic level when we're using and that's and that's the level that I was using at. And um and that's the way that I lived. So when I had started to graduate high school, um, I was doing, uh, smoking a lot of angel dust at the time. And I was just paranoid. I was paranoid and I thought everybody was out to get me. And I thought that I had answers that other people didn't have. And I remember at my high school graduation, while I'm like doing practice for graduation, at the graduation ceremony, being high on, on PCP. And... Um, that caused me to have like a lot of paranoia and it started changing me. I could start feeling changes in my body and my brain and I said, Okay, this is time to switch again, switch drugs. So I went back to drinking a lot and smoking a lot of weed. And um when I when I would drink, it got to the point where I, I started being like suicidal while I was drinking. Like I would blackout and um I would drive in my car, speed in my car. I remember telling my one friend, you might never see me again after I dropped him off at home drunk. And I remember speeding 100 miles per hour on back roads. And um, it just got to the point where I knew like I was going to die. And throughout this whole thing, I knew that there was something on this earth for me to do. Although I was so depressed and so unhappy, I knew that there was something for me here to do. And um, after alcohol became uh, such a problem, I switched. I had got uh, in trouble with uh I had got arrested, I had got on a probation, so I couldn't smoke marijuana no more. I knew alcohol just depressed me even worse, so I started taking these little pills. And um, these pills, I thought I finally found like an answer because they made me happier than anything, anything else had ever did. One time, it's like a funny story I like to tell my friends, one time, I, the first time I took uh, Percocets, I was so happy with life, I started crying of happiness. And, like, that's a funny story, but imagine how miserable I was before that. So these pills worked for me for a little bit. I went through three semesters at college. I wanted to be a lawyer. I did have dreams of doing good in the future, and I knew I could do it. And I said, when I go to college, I'm really going to buckle down. And um, when these pills took over my life, so did the lifestyle. I wanted to be, like, the next Scarface and and sell drugs, and it's not, like, the reality for me. And um, I started... um, doing everything that I could to have enough money to provide my for my addiction. Um, I went to the level of, of selling an 18 year old girl who was still in high school, didn't do any drugs. I've convinced her to sell her own body. And I tried to start like a, a little prostitution ring. And um, that's not how I was raised. I wasn't raised with these morals or values. My mother didn't teach me these things. This is what the disease told me to do. The disease told me that everybody's out to get to you, that nobody deserves anything because you don't deserve any anything and um, it was all just fear it was it was all just fear so this is when i became going in in and out of treatment centers because i saw a commercial on tv for malibu passages and um i said oh this place is nice one night um i saw this commercial and i called them at like two in the morning and um realized i don't even think they take insurance like sixty thousand dollars a month or something so i ended up going to facility in new jersey and when I went to this facility, they said, "Um, this is a program of complete abstinence, and um I had marijuana wait waiting for me at my house, so I didn't believe I was an act. I thought that I had just got hooked on something physically, and um, I was just chemically dependent, but I didn't know about like neural how how doing all these drugs changed me, how they changed me, and um, I got out of this treatment center. And uh, I thought I was just going to go back to a normal life. When I got back home, I went to the mall, and I hadn't used yet. But mentally, I made myself so sick that I was literally drenched in sweat walking through the mall, and my whole body was shaking because I knew I was back home. And I knew that at that time that there was no hope for me, that there was no solution for me. And because um, I couldn't admit the fact that I was that I was an addict. So... I proceed to go go along with um using and uh it it just continued to get worse and worse and uh the thing is is that the thing that scared me about doing a twelve step fellowship is because I saw God in the steps and um growing up, I had this connection with God what progressed my my disease so much more was when I lost my faith in my in my certain higher power that I was raised in. So then there there was the lack of connection with God. I already had this uh, this disconnect with people. and I have this disconnect with God and I was already losing myself. So I, I, I'm i just like like a lost soul. Like the disease I feel like was sucking the soul out of my body and wanting to take everything from me that God had given me. And um, I had glimpses of hope when I saw other people admit that they were an addict because I knew that there was hope for them but I didn't think there was hope for me. So I ended up realizing that it's a God of my own understanding. That's a higher power for me. And um it doesn't have to we don't have to live in the dogma, which is what you were taught in the past, that I can have my own God and He, he just should be loving, caring, and kind. And um I believe this disease is so treacherous that it, it, you can see God but reach for something else. That you can have glimpses of hope and the disease will tell you, No, that's not that's not God and um come back with me and, and that and that's what I'll continually do. So it had got to the point where I I was homeless, where I had, um, overdosed. Um, and, uh, you just start reaching like a spiritual bottom so low that the world just becomes like a dark place. Like you, 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 you don't see any more light and you feel like you don't have any more light to give to the world. And, um, when I was homeless, wherever I was sleeping at, I'd wake up in the morning and before my eyes were open, I'd want to start crying. If I was capable of having that type of feeling of crying, I, I, I would definitely have just cried my eyes out because I knew I would have to do it all over again, that I didn't have a choice to do it all over again. I believe, like I said, when I put something in me, I lose power, choice, and control. And um, I, I would stay up as late as I could and I would just pass out every night because I stayed up as late as I could because I didn't want to have to do it again in the morning. When I wake up, I hear the birds chirping. I just wanted to die. I remember being so sick, I didn't want to use anymore. I didn't want to use anymore, but I had to. I didn't want to use to the point where I wouldn't go get anything, but I would get so sick because at this point I'm on heroin and I'm so physically dependent that I would just lay around or sit around wherever I happen to be at that day. And I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And, um, but I had to, but because of it by by the time I got sick it was it was nothing for me to do. I look at the disease as like something like standing or floating over top of me, just trying to suck the soul out of me till there's literally nothing of me left and um so when I got to that point, I ended up um homeless in in Camden, New Jersey, wandering the streets, and um there's drug dealers on every corner. And I looked at them with dirty looks, and I was hoping one of them would, would be like, what are you looking at, and somebody would kill me. And um, I, I remember walking around there like that for two hours, just like, somebody please kill me, or somebody, or, or I just wanted the cops to arrest me because I didn't want to do it anymore, and I didn't know what else to do. So nobody arrested me. Nobody, nobody would even kill me. And um, I just had this moment where, like, I just stopped. Like, something stopped me where I was walking in the street, and I wasn't even high at this time. I, I just stopped. And something hit me like there's something on this earth for you to do and um I, w- I had already heard about coming down to Florida to recovery first and um, and I and I went there and um I did what they told me to do I got out and I had went to a halfway house and uh, bottom line is I forgot what I what I where I came from I forgot what I had to do and I got complacent And I realized that I I forgot that I only get a daily reprieve from this disease and that I can do what I want and get away with it. And that wasn't the case. So I ended up using again. Um, And uh, I believe that's when God took away my final reservations. He took away qualities of me and and behaviors that always led me to to relapse. He took away the ability for me to even um, bullshit other people, how to just put on a mask just to cope with any situation I'm in and any group of people. Cause I could do that. I could be whoever you want me to be, but this time I couldn't do that. I couldn't talk to girls. I had to be alone. I had to be just me and God. And that was it. And I believe that's what he did for me this last time. Cause, um, I had told this, this guy, I, I was getting hired and he tried to rob me. And I said, listen, I'm not stupid and I'm not giving you anything. I was just like, so you can kill me if you want to. I, I've been ready to die. And that's why I said to him. And, um, He was blown away that I said that and just walked away from me because he knew that I was just done. So I ended up calling um, Chris over at Recovery First. And um, at first I I had said, I'll I'll do whatever I have to do, this and that. And then I ended up drinking a little bit, called him again, and I basically told him what I was going to do. And he said, no, this is what you're going to do because after the first time I was involved with Alumni Recovery First, I had built a relationship with Chris, and he knew that I was just trying to manipulate him and get what I wanted. And he said, no, this is what you're going to do or you're not going to come here. He he knew that I needed like a certain format, and I needed to be told what to do to, to recover. And um, he didn't let me get away with, that, with, with the crap I was trying to pull. So um, I don't work for Recovery First or anything. So if I had a bad opinion about it, I would say it. But uh, Recovery First changed my life. I've been to numerous treatment centers, and um, I stay involved with alumni because I had told Alex, who's the alumni coordinator, I told her, you know, why I still come every month because Recovery First realized you don't treat people, you treat like an illness, but you don't treat people, you care for people, and that's what they did for me there. And I, and I wasn't used to that, so um, I I had uh, went there. I went to their um, detox the residential and then their PHP program and um, I had got an extension and I stayed for longer I had got out went to a halfway house and I started doing the things that that they finally that they were always telling me to do when I would go to treatment to get a sponsor we joined a 12-step fellowship and um, and it changed my whole life around Um, like I had said I couldn't really talk to people Um, I was just I was just full of fear and um, for months, I, I would go to work, i go to my halfway house, and i go to a meeting by myself. And I didn't care if it was AA or NA in the beginning, I just needed to go to a meeting because um, I started believing in that God is love, and when you love another person, you see the face of God. So when I go to meetings, that's when I see God the most, because I love um, every other addict and alcoholic, even if I don't like you, I love you, because I know you made it out of the same hell that I did. And um, I ended up working the twelve steps and um they completely changed my life around because they, they they've been able to allow me to build that connection back with God, with other people, with myself, and um and that's what I always lacked. So when I when I was able to talk to people again and to live life and to become a member of society again, because that's why I believe that this is what recovery is like. Recovery, um is about becoming a human being again, and um, I had heard that somebody said some synonyms for recovery is a rebirth and a resurrection, and when I had um, got a year clean, only one person said to me happy birthday, and um, at first I didn't understand that, but when I had heard those synonyms, I understood because I was spiritually dead, and um, addicts and alcoholics, I believe, are fortunate enough to live two lives in one lifetime, and um and that's what I'm able to do uh, today. And you know, you see a lot of things about the stigma of addiction, and people who don't understand addiction or been through it, and their like opinions on it. And that's fine. I don't, I don't expect them to understand anything. But um, I I know for me, like, I I could not stop. I I could not stop even even when I wanted to. I had to use. And um, through recovery, first telling me what to do. I was I, I was able to actually follow their direction this time and uh, find a new way to live and um, and I'm happy today that's 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 all I wanted was to be able to stop using and um, today I want more today I want to be happy and the biggest thing I want to do and what I found out is that God gives everybody in this world specific gifts and um, specific for that person and, and that's what they're on this world to do and for me I believe it's to help to help other people whether it's at this store, whether it's holding a door for somebody um, or just saying hello to somebody, just passing by and giving them a smile.